Welcome to Washington Today for February 13th, 2023. I'm Gary Sterkoff. Thanks a lot for joining us. Federal officials are saying more about the unidentified objects shot down over North America over the past few days. The latest shot down by a U.S. F-16 fighter jet over Lake Huron on Sunday. That operation marked the third day in a row that an unidentified object was shot down over North America. And it comes just days after the U.S. shot down a suspected Chinese surveillance balloon that crossed the country. We'll hear from Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin and the National Security Council's John Kirby coming up. President Biden has fired the architect of the Capitol, Brett Blanton, following a series of misconduct revelations that prompted bipartisan calls for his removal. A White House official told CNN, quote, after doing our due diligence, the architect of the Capitol was terminated at the president's direction. And Politico writing that Mr. Blanton, quote, faced a crescendo of criticism following a heated oversight hearing last week that centered on an internal watchdog report that cataloged his broad misuse of department resources. United Nations Ambassador Linda Thomas-Greenfield is calling on the Security Council to do more to help earthquake relief efforts in northwest Syria. According to the White Helmets Volunteer Organization, rescue operations are over in rebel-held areas of northwest Syria, but relief efforts there have been complicated by the long-running civil war. We'll hear what the ambassador had to say coming up. More than 36,000 people have been killed and tens of thousands injured after a magnitude 7.8 earthquake struck Turkey and Syria one week ago. Federal officials are saying more about the objects that were shot down over North America in the past few days. A U.S. F-16 fighter jet shot down a high-altitude object on Sunday over Lake Huron. Another unidentified object was shot down over northern Canada on Saturday. And on Friday... An unidentified object shot down in Alaskan airspace. With more on all of this, here is Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin. I know a lot of people have a lot of questions given the activity over the weekend, so I wanted to take a minute uh, to give you the latest on where we stand and what we know, and then I'll take a couple of questions before we hop in the car. The safety and the security of the American people is the president and the department's number one priority. And I want to reassure Americans that these objects do not present a military threat to anyone on the ground. They do, however, present a risk to civil aviation and potentially an intelligence collection threat. And we'll get to the bottom of it. Right now, our priority is is debris recovery so that we can get a better sense of what these objects are. We're working closely with the rest of the federal government, including the FAA, the FBI, NASA, and others, to work through what what we might be seeing. We, of course, know that a range of entities, including countries, companies, research research organizations, operate in uh, these altitudes or at these altitudes for purposes that are not nefarious, including legitimate research. That said, because we've not been able to definitively assess what these recent objects are, uh, we've acted out of an abundance of caution to protect uh, our security and interest. That's why we have teams working hard to track down the debris from over the weekend. We have extensive efforts in South Carolina, Alaska, and Lake Huron, and we're supporting our Canadian partners in their efforts there. Each of these recoveries are unique and each pose their own challenges, as you know. 
In South Carolina, crews have collected a fair amount of debris from the site and weather permitting uh, continue to search. In Alaska, the object landed on sea ice and because of the wind chills and other weather impacts in the area, safety concerns are particularly are partially dictating recovery timelines. In Yukon Territory, Canada is leading recovery up operations in a very re remote area where the debris landed. And the FBI continues uh, to liaison with Canadian officials and U.S. Northern Command is ready to offer additional support as requested. In Lake Huron, U.S. Northern Command and the U.S. Coast Guard and the FBI are beginning operations to locate debris in close partnership with the Canadians. Because the recovery efforts are unique, the timelines will be unique as well. I want to be clear, the three objects taken down this weekend are very different from what we were talking about last week. We knew exactly what that was, a PRC surveillance balloon. And as we have said, we do not assess that the recent objects pose any direct threat to the people on the ground, and we will continue to focus on confirming their nature and purpose. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin speaking to the media in Brussels, Belgium, this afternoon. And Secretary of State Antony Blinken and China's top diplomat Wang Yi are both expected to attend the Munich Security Conference this coming weekend in Germany. And while State Department officials had no announcement to make about a possible meeting between the two, it would be the first opportunity for them to meet since the U.S. downed that suspected Chinese surveillance balloon. Here's more from Secretary Austin. Mr. Secretary, have you been able to recover any part of the most recent three objects? And why continue to call them objects? Are these not balloons? Well, uh, we're going to confirm what they are once we have collected the debris. But to answer your question, uh, we've not recovered any debris from the three most recent shoot-downs. Oh, sure. Sir, uh, as far as policy is concerned, do you know, does, is it American policy to now shoot down these uh, unidentified objects on site? And has there been a delegation of authority from President Biden to yourself on making decisions on when to take down these, these objects? Thanks. Our policy hasn't changed. Uh, we will evaluate each and every uh, event on, on its own merits and we'll make uh, decisions uh, based upon the recommendations of uh, the Nor NORTHCOM NORAD commander uh, the, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, uh, and uh, they'll make recommendations to me, and I'll evaluate and make recommendations to the president. Again, these three events uh, presented, a, each of them presented a risk to safety of, of flight. Uh, and we don't know if they were actually collecting intelligence, but because of the route that they took, uh, out of an abundance of caution, we want to make sure that we have the ability to examine what these things are and p potentially what they were doing. So. So with that, uh, I'll stop and uh, we'll go ahead and, uh, and move out to the, uh, to the hotel. But thanks a lot. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin. Back here in D.C., National Security Council spokesman John Kirby also spoke about the incidents. He said better tracking capabilities may partially explain why more objects have been seen in U.S. airspace. In light of the Chinese balloon program and this recent incursion into our airspace, the United States and Canada, through NORAD, have been more closely scrutinizing that airspace, including enhancing our radar capabilities, which, as the commander of NORTHCOM and NORAD, General Van Herc, said just last night, may at least partially explain the increase in the objects that have been detected. 
Slow-moving objects at high altitude with a small radar cross-section are difficult to detect on radar. Even objects the size of a, the Chinese spy balloon, which had a payload the size of roughly three school buses, were not picked up by previous administrations or other countries. We also know that a range of entities, including countries, companies, research, and academic organizations, operate objects at these altitudes for purposes that are not nefarious at all, including scientific research. That said, because we have not yet been able to defi definitively assess what these most recent objects are, we acted out of an abundance of caution to protect the security, our security, our interest, and flight safety. In Saturday's case, we acted in consultation with the Canadian government, the President speaking personally with, the, with Prime Minister Trudeau. The spy balloon was, of course, different because we knew precisely where that was. As we have said, we do not assess that these most recent objects posed any direct threat to people on the ground, and we are laser-focused on confirming their nature and purpose, including through intensive efforts to collect debris in the remote locations where they have fallen. In each instance, we have followed the same basic course. We assessed whether they posed any kinetic threat to people on the ground. They did not. We assessed whether they were sending any communication signals. We detected none. We looked to see whether they were maneuvering or had any pr propulsion capabilities. We saw no signs of that. And we made sure to determine whether or not they were manned. They were not. We did, however, assess that their altitudes were considerably lower than the Chinese high-altitude balloon and did pose a threat to civilian commercial air traffic. And while we have no specific reason to suspect that they were conducting surveillance of any kind, we couldn't rule that out. That is why the President, at the recommendation of the Secretary of Defense, the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and the North, NORTHCOM NORAD Commander, gave the order to shoot them down. These missions were completed successfully and safely. Efforts are actively underway right now at all sites to find what is left of those objects so that we can better understand and communicate with the American people what they are. I think it's important to remind the objects in Alaska and Canada are in pre-remote terrain, ice and wilderness, all of that making it difficult to find them in winter weather. The object over Lake Huron now lies in what is probably very deep water. National Security Council spokesman John Kirby speaking at the White House. And Deputy Secretary of State Wendy Sherman is denying claims from Beijing that the U.S. has flown surveillance balloons over China, telling reporters at the State Department today, quote, there are no U.S. government balloons over the People's Republic of China. None. Zero. Period. John Kirby echoed those remarks. We're not flying any surveillance balloons over China. Are we flying any other kind of surveillance craft routinely over China? We are not flying surveillance balloons over China. I'm not aware of any other craft that we're flying over uh, into, into Chinese airspace. And while U.S. officials seem to be tight-lipped about what these objects could be, White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre told reporters today what the objects are not. 
And one last thing before I turn it over to the Admiral, I just wanted to make sure we address this from the White House. I know there have been questions and, and concerns about this, but there is no, again, no indication of aliens or extraterrestrial activity with these recent takedowns. Again, there is no indication of aliens or terrestrial activity with these recent takedowns. Wanted to make sure that the American people knew that, all of you knew that, uh, and it was important for us to say that from here because we've been hearing a lot about it. Um, I, I, I'm not. Would you tell us? I'm just, you know, I loved E.T. the movie, but I'm, I'm just going to leave it there. And here's Scott Clancy. He's a former NORAD director of operations, and he says he thinks the increased sightings are the result of a combination of factors. I think you're seeing the confluence of uh, two things. The first thing is what uh, General Venner, my old commander. Uh, referred to as intelligence gaps that existed with our systems of detection uh, across North America. Uh, as he said in his briefing after the initial shootdown of the Chinese attributed balloon, that they have since closed those gaps. Uh, and it's been referred to as to adjusting the filters on those systems. I think there's maybe a little bit more to that. But what it does is it allows these systems to be seen more often. The second thing, and then this is just conjecture from my perspective, I think you're also seeing the confluence of a, a distinctive activity by our adversaries to test our systems. And I think it's the confluence of both of those things that were producing these number of events. Does that mean you think it's China? No, I do not. And I, I think that uh, General Van Erk's prudence with respect to attribution of these last three uh, is well-sounded. Especially when we think of the tensions that already exist in the relations between China and the United States particularly, but let's just say China and the Western world, uh, over the Straits of Taiwan, over its economic dealings, over its flouting of international laws. Uh, Canada has been demarched by them in the past for uh, a, a number of things. So his prudence in, in making sure that we can recover the objects before attribution is smart but what I'm saying is it, it smells to me, as the guy who was directed to conduct operations to defend North America, I'd be very suspicious and I'd be on high alert to make sure that all of our adversaries are being countered. Former NORAD Director of Operations Scott Clancy speaking on CNN earlier on Monday. United Nations Ambassador Linda Thomas-Greenfield is calling on the U.N. Security Council to do more to help earthquake relief efforts in northwest Syria. According to the White Helmets Volunteer Organization, rescue operations are over in that area, but relief efforts have been complicated by the long-running Syrian civil war. Since 2014, the U.N. has been able to deliver aid to the region under a Security Council mandate, but it is currently restricted to using just one border crossing through Turkey. Will Russia now open more humanitarian aid quarters, corridors into Syria, or are they going to veto it? Look, that is the question at hand today, Andrea, and that is that the Security Council needs to act. We need to act urgently to open up the uh, two additional border crossings. And we have heard from the United Nations. We heard from Martin Griffiths, the uh, humanitarian coordinator. We've heard from the secretary general that it is important that we open up open up additional crossings. And so it's it's the Security Council needs to act. We need to act immediately. There will be a meeting, a closed meeting of the Security Council uh, this afternoon. 
in that meeting. Uh, it is our hope, our plan that we can move action on this now. Uh, we call for this as early as last week. As you noted, we're weak into this and every single minute means one more life. You said 30, uh, 35,000. I heard just before coming in, 36,000 uh, have been killed. The numbers are ticking every single day. So we, we must act now. And it is important that we show the Syrian people that we are there for them, that we're ready to provide them the assistance that they, they need. And uh, I'm uh, really working uh, with all of my colleagues in the Security Council, as well as the NGOs and the UN to make sure that that actually happens. I know from two years ago and continuously, Russia has been difficult to say the least. Now we're in the middle of a shooting war, you know, proxy war for us, but of course it's a horrible war in Ukraine. Does that make it more complicated or can this be on a separate track for you? This has to be on a separate track. We're, we're really dealing with a, a natural disaster. Uh, this is a humanitarian crisis and we need to move forward on this right now without consideration of what we're doing elsewhere in, in, in the world. Those things are taking place uh, separately and we need to move forward on, on this. And so the Security Council, as I said, will be meeting this afternoon. I called yesterday for urgent action by the Security Council and it is my hope and expectation that that call will be responded to. U.N. Ambassador Linda Thomas-Greenfield on MSNBC. More than 36,000 people have been killed and tens of thousands injured after a magnitude 7.8 earthquake struck Turkey and Syria one week ago. President Biden has fired architect of the Capitol Brett Blanton following a series of misconduct revelations that prompted bipartisan calls for his removal. A White House official told CNN, quote, after doing our due diligence, the architect of the Capitol was terminated at the president's direction. And Politico writing today that Mr. Blanton, quote, faced a crescendo of criticism following a heated House Administration Committee hearing last week that centered on an internal watchdog report that cataloged his broad misuse of department resources and ethics violations. With more on that hearing and what the architect of the Capitol does and how Brett Blanton got the job, here's CQ Roll Call congressional reporter Justin Papp. There is a question about how he got the job. I don't know the answer to that exactly, but there's uh, a past inspector general uh, said to me that it was surprising because he's not trained as an architect and normally the architect of the Capitol would be. So there's some confusion about that. There's also confusion about who has authority to discipline an architect because he is presidentially appointed, but he is a legislative branch employee. Uh, I talked to one expert who said that he believes Congress has the power to impeach Blanton, but lawmakers I've spoken to don't seem to think that they do. The chair of the House Administration Committee, Brian Stile, this afternoon told me that uh, he, he won't go so far as to call for Blanton to resign, and he won't go so far as to say that uh, Biden should remove him. But he said Blanton serves uh, at the will of President Biden, and it is ultimately his decision to make. What does the architect of the Capitol do and how much of that role is security? Um, it's a big part of the role. So one of the chief functions is he is 
uh, on the Capitol Police Board. He is not a law enforcement officer, which is an important distinction to make given some of the uh, ethics violations alleged in the report. But he is responsible for the upkeep, the maintenance, and the security of the Capitol complex. There were already questions about the ethics violations. What are the specifics? A lot of these are related to his use of his government-issued vehicle, which was intended for uh, home-to-work use. Uh, According to the Inspector General report, which was released in October, uh, Mr. Blanton allowed both his wife and his daughter to drive the vehicle sometimes when he was not present. He took the vehicle on road trips as far as South Carolina and Florida, He also allegedly misrepresented himself as a law enforcement officer in an incident where a driver hit the car of his daughter's boyfriend. Blanton allegedly uh, chased that driver to his home and briefly detained him. And police officers who responded to the scene identified Blanton as a law enforcement agent. Uh, He denied that. At the hearing, he said it was a mistake on the officer's part. Uh, but those were two of the big allegations against him. Also, he, he and his wife uh, allegedly led tours of the Capitol building while it was shut down because of COVID. CQ Roll Call congressional reporter Justin Papp speaking to C-SPAN Radio last week. You're listening to Washington Today. Welcome back to Washington Today. The House is on a district work period this week. They will return to D.C. on Monday, February 27th. On Thursday, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy will lead a group of House Republicans on a trip to the southern border. First-term Representatives Juan Siscomani of Arizona, Lori Chavez-Deremer of Oregon, Jen Kiggins of Virginia, and Derek Van Orden of Wisconsin will be traveling to the Border Patrol's Tucson sector, where, where they will be briefed and receive an aerial tour from CPB officials. The trip is part of Speaker McCarthy's plans to make security at the southern border a top priority. A Georgia judge has ordered the release of portions of a special purpose grand jury report investigating possible actions by former President Trump to overturn his 2020 election loss there. Fulton County Superior Court Judge Robert McBurney's order says the report will include three sections, including one that lays out concerns that some witnesses potentially lied under oath. The 24-person jury was created in 2021 at the request of the Fulton County District Attorney. It heard from 75 witnesses over an eight-month-long investigation, including Rudy Giuliani, South Carolina Republican Senator Lindsey Graham, and Georgia Republican Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger and the Republican Governor of Georgia, Brian Kemp. And the leaders of uh, leaders from Pennsylvania and Missouri are looking to make good on their Super Bowl bets that they made with each other last week. Missouri Governor Mike Parson reminded Pennsylvania Governor Josh Shapiro about their bet that included the losing team having to fly the winning team's flag outside of the state capitol in Harrisburg. And Philadelphia Mayor Jim Kenney will be sending some Philly treats to his counterpart, Kansas City Mayor Quinton Luskin. Mayor Kenney tweeting today, quote, As per our wager, you'll be getting some delicious Philly food and beer from Down North Pizza and Philly Brewing. I'm also proud to support a Kansas City nonprofit of your choosing with a donation. Congratulations on your win. More than 36 million Americans tuned in for last night's Super Bowl in Glendale, Arizona. That saw the Kansas City Chiefs beat the Philadelphia Eagles in an exciting game. 38-35 was the final score. 
The Senate returned to work today. Senators will vote on the confirmation of Cindy Chung to be a judge on the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Third Circuit. If approved, she would be the first Asian-American to serve on that court. Lawmakers will also vote to advance the nomination of Gina Mendez-Miro to be the U.S. District Court Judge for Puerto Rico. And reaction from the incidents over the weekend from Senator John Tester, who is a Democrat from Montana. He tweeted yesterday, quote, protecting Montana and our freedoms is my top priority, and I support the move to shoot down the object that invaded Montana's airspace last night. I remain in contact with senior defense officials, and I'll keep demanding answers for the public. Michigan Democrat Debbie Dingell tweeted, quote, the increasing incidents of unidentified objects, the latest over Lake Huron in Michigan airspace are disturbing. We need the facts about where they are originating from, what their purpose is, and why their frequency is increasing. And former Maryland Republican governor and possible 2024 presidential candidate Larry Hogan tweeted, saying, quote, in times of uncertainty, leaders need to be as transparent as possible with the public. After shooting down three airborne objects, President Biden needs to communicate directly with the nation about what we know and what we don't. And during today's Leader Time remarks, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell echoed those comments. Now, on an entirely different matter, there's something unusual going on in our nation's skies. President Biden needs to communicate and level with the American people. About two weeks ago, the American people learned that a Chinese spy balloon had crossed into our airspace and was taking its time surveilling our homeland. We watched it tour a big chunk of the country before the administration finally belatedly took it down. Since then, the public has seemingly heard about another new unidentified flying object seemingly on a daily basis. Yesterday, one of our F-16s shot down something they still have not identified near Lake Huron. The day before that, in consultation with Canada, an American F-22 shot down something else over the Yukon. The day before that, we took out something else over Alaska. The administration has still not been able to divulge any meaningful information about what was shot down what in the world is going on? Has the Biden administration just dialed the sensitivity of our radars all the way up? If so, what are these objects that we are just now noticing for the very first time? Are they benign science projects and wayward weather balloons or something more nefarious that we've somehow been missing all this time? President Biden owes the American people some answers. What are we shooting down? Where do they come from? Whether they are hostile or not, is there coherent guidance about when to shoot them down? If the administration knew all along about China's surveillance efforts, why did it not have options to shoot that balloon down before it maneuvered itself all across the country? Did the right people in the government know about this surveillance threat? Did ODNI and DOD not adequately share intelligence about the growing threat? How did we get into a position where the greatest nation in the world doesn't know what is traversing our own airspace? How long has the domain awareness gap that NORTHCOM Commander General Van Herrick has identified existed? And what has the department done about it. The commander-in-chief owes the country some answers.
And the, area, the incidents over North American skies were also on the mind of Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. Over the weekend, U.S. forces shot down three unknown objects that entered U.S. and Canadian airspace that were deemed to pose a potential threat to civilian aviation. At the moment, we only have preliminary details. I have scheduled for senators to receive a briefing tomorrow on what we know and do not know about where these objects come from and what threats, if any, they pose to the United States. So that's tomorrow. I believe, and my office can check me on this, it would be at 10 a.m., but we'll, let, we'll send a notice out so people check the time. I commend President Biden and all our service members who acted quickly to shoot these objects down before they dangered American aircraft or civilians. Unlike the balloon shot down last week, these objects demanded a swift response to ensure they didn't get in the way of commercial jets or pose any other risk on the ground. The American people can rest assured that our defense and intelligence agencies are focused like a laser to determine where these objects came from and what their capabilities were. And while there's still plenty that we don't know about this past weekend's events, in the case of the Chinese balloon, we do know now that it was not the first time Chinese surveillance balloons entered United States airspace. It has been confirmed that three balloons flew over the United States during the previous administration without detection. China's deployment of these balloons is brazen. I bring this up to emphasize that this issue is bigger than any one administration and should be free from partisan sniping. Congress is going to conduct a careful bipartisan examination at these various incidents, and also look into why U.S. authorities didn't find these Chinese surveillance balloons sooner. My friend, Senator Tester, has been taking the lead in this effort. I want to commend him for his leadership. And so as we recover the item shot down over the weekend, I once again commend the President. And I fully support the Senate taking a thorough look at finding out why it took so long to find these balloons. It is something we must do because, as I mentioned, three of them occurred during the Trump administration and the authorities knew nothing about them. I finally want to thank our service members for their excellent work. And Congress is going to work in the coming weeks to get the full story of what happened and how we keep the American people safe. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer on the floor earlier today. And also earlier today on Fox News, Montana Republican Representative Matt Rosendale talked about what he knows about the objects. Today we had a secure briefing before I left Washington last week, and those are the kinds of questions that I was asking. Obviously, we're not allowed to share information that we received, but I can tell you it was quite minimal and did not absolutely nothing to help uh, secure my fears. Uh, why is it that the Chinese balloon wasn't brought down over the Pacific Ocean before it entered over Alaska, much less over Canada, and then flew across the United States? Unfortunately, I had a, a report uh, while I was sitting at an event on Saturday evening that there was an air shutdown over the northern part of the state again. Yeah. And I really believe that it's because of the uh, device that they shot down over Lake Huron. Problem is that the Department of Defense left me in the dark literally for about 18 hours while I had people all across Montana 
asking questions about what is going on, what is going on with our national security. I'm right now sitting three miles from Mousem Air Force Base and in the middle of a uh, ICBM missile field that stretches yeah. over hundreds of square miles across Montana. Sure, and the original spy flight, that big balloon, the size of three uh, school buses, that went right over, took all the pictures they needed to. That's it right there. Listen to the conversation. Steve, it didn't just go over. It hovered around this area for a couple of days. They determined that it did have maneuverability, that yeah. it did have motion did have propellers, and we are asking questions. How much data is being collected? The cu cumulative effect of all of that data can be causing us problems for many years into the future. Do they have blocking devices on those balloons to keep us from giving communications to the missiles if we did have to launch that? And New York Democrat Adriano Espiat spoke about it with The Brian Lehrer Show on WNYC Radio in New York City. Look, I think that uh, if you saw the balloon, uh, you may you could have uh, perhaps uh, consider it to be a weather balloon or just uh, that went off course. Uh, it didn't look like a spy machine, if you may. Uh, but you know, we all know that uh, China and Russia and, and us we're we're always checking and we're always. Um, a, uh, doing our, our recognizance and our intelligence work across the planet. So this is not a surprise to me, and I think it's, it's a whole lot of nothing. I think that this probably goes on every day, uh, and we, we haven't paid attention to it because we really have not been publicly focused on it as we have been in the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Do you think that the Biden administration is being transparent enough even with members of Congress, about what this has been about? Because even some Democrats in Congress are complaining about that. Well, we should get more information about it. Uh, but now Canada is involved in the latest, uh, in the latest incident, so uh, we'll have to wait and see what they come up with as well. But yes, we should have gotten more information in a quicker fashion. I think uh, uh, the administration was a little bit slow to get to us. The National Association of Counties began their annual legislative conference here in D.C. today. President Biden is scheduled to speak at the event on Wednesday. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg appeared today, and he talked about making infrastructure investments at the county level. The, the reality is the, the, the answers, the, the projects, the delivery doesn't come from Washington, but more of the funding should. And that's exactly what we're doing with the bipartisan infrastructure law. We are seeking to work with our partners on the ground to help you meet the priorities that you've known all along need to get done. Now, if I think about it in terms of the timeline of this administration, we really spent our first year just making the case. Yes. And with your help, we got that done. It was one of the bipartisan achievements that the president was able to speak about in the State of the Union address. Just a couple of weeks ago, he was uh, uh, with the Republican Senate leader celebrating yes. that, uh, that Brent Spence Bridge. Uh, it has been thrilling to do that. We spent the first year just getting that thing passed. And then the complexity and the proportions of the, the programs we set up meant that we spent most of the second year getting it all stood up and created, mm. setting up the plumbing, if you will, that all of that funding was going to move through. Yeah, right. Now comes the fun part. Yes. This is when we are really seeing the dollars begin to move and even beginning to see the spades turning and the dirt flying. With your help, 3,700 bridges that we now have 
uh, getting started to be improved. Over 70,000 miles of highway, 8,000 buses, ferries, and other pieces of transit equipment. And we're just getting started. Woo! It's an exciting time. That's it. That's it. And you mentioned the EV part. Uh, look, everybody catch a Super Bowl last night? Uh, <laughs> the automakers are going to do more to s literally sell electric vehicles than any policymaker can or should. That, that's where industry is going anyway. Right. But what's not going to happen anyway is for it to reach enough communities quickly enough, especially when we're thinking about charging, so that everybody can take advantage of it, especially as EVs become more and more affordable and the biggest barrier to somebody being able to save the gas money or the diesel money that you have by owning one right. becomes charging. Right. And that's where our partnership comes in. We're providing, again, more funding, but you all are going to need to put together the local information and the localized inputs on the applications about where some of these chargers actually need to go. Right. So that's just one example of the partnership that, that we are building up, but it couldn't be a more exciting time for transportation. Uh, it, it's had its challenges. Right. Uh, I mean, if you look at what the American transportation systems have faced in the last two or three years, partly because of the pandemic, we've faced issues from container shipping to airline cancellations. Mm -hmm. Now we got balloons. That's right. Um, <laughs> but also the best time ever to be working in transportation because of these resources. And we know ultimately it's in the hands of uh, those who are on the ground that the biggest difference is going to be made. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg speaking at the National Association of Counties annual legislative conference here in D.C. You can see the entire event at cspan.org. And finally, tomorrow marks the five-year anniversary of the shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida. That claimed the lives of 17 people and injured 17 more. And today, one of the survivors of that event and the co-founder of the March for Our Lives, Delaney Tarr, reflected on her life five years since the shooting. Are there specific thoughts that you're having, things that you're thinking about? I mean, I, I really reflect a lot on, you know, the shooting itself, the time after the shooting, the March for Our Lives. I reflect on it all year round. That's not a really a thought that goes away for me, but it becomes ever present the closer that we get to that date. So I've, I've been thinking a lot about kind of what we did and I mean, what happened and then what we did in the aftermath and how I feel about it, how it's impacted me, um, how I've grieved and how I've struggled to grieve. So it's, it's a lot of just constantly pondering from driving and walking around, sitting, eating dinner, like everything that I'm doing, I'm thinking about it in some capacity, um, really trying to reflect and understand where I'm at now. Well, you recently wrote a little bit about, you know, this process that you're undergoing of trying to understand how your life has changed since the tragedy in Parkland. What have you learned uh, from this reflection about, you know, that tragedy and how it has sort of impacted you? I mean, what haven't I learned? It's it's interesting to have something so transformational happen at an age where you're, you know, already having a transformational experience. I was incredibly vulnerable, all of us were. And being able to understand that not only did that change my development into adulthood, it's been carried with me this entire time. So I've really, I've learned obviously great things about 
organizing and understanding the political landscape and understanding the power of collective change. But I've also learned the ways that organizing in times of grief and trauma and tragedy can kind of mess you up for a really long time, which is part of what my article touches on. Um, I've learned that a lot of the things that I once considered uplifting to hear now kind of fill me with discomfort and sometimes a little bit of sadness tinged with anger. Um, and that can be a really complicated feeling, like the things that people say to us, to people who did organize or who still organize. So it's definitely I, every every aspect of it. I think my feelings have changed a little. And I know that they'll keep changing as the years go on. Delaney Tarr, a survivor of the 2018 Parkland, Florida shootings and a co-founder of March for Our Lives, an organization born out of that tragedy. She spoke with Washington Post Live. You can see the entire event at cspan.org. That's where you can also find this program as a podcast. It's also on our C-SPAN Now mobile app or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you'd like more on the stories that are shaping Washington, subscribe to C-SPAN's evening newsletter, Word for Word. You can go to cspan.org forward slash connect to subscribe. I'm Gary Sterkoff. Thanks a lot for listening today to Washington Today. <laughs>